a guy named Jesse Mering, who is a guy that I met in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, he runs a place called Optimize, which is this kind of wellness lab. They have cold plunges, um, like think hot tubs, but ice cold water. Um, and he's gonna kind of get into the benefits of why that exists. Um, but it's the first place I've ever seen. I've been doing the cold shower thing for a while, um, and I hop in the river when it's at pretty ridiculous temperatures. But he's gonna talk a little bit um, deeper in depth of why people get in cold water uh, and the health benefits of it. But his place optimizes a trip. There is uh, a bunch of different cold water plunges that are kind of at different temperatures, and it's circulating water, so it stays really, really cold. There's a hot tub, there's an infrared sauna, there's a regular dry sauna. There's some compression stuff that they do, but just a really wild kind of little, like I said, like a little wellness lab. Uh, Jesse's also a retired uh, professional MMA fighter um, and has a kind of an interesting story of how he got from, from that into the wellness thing. Um, and he's also a family man. Um, but when I first went to optimize, my friend or our mutual friend Anton took me there. Um, and I got into an ice bath. It was the coldest water that I've ever got in. Um, but once we got in the hot tub, about 15, 20 minutes into hanging out with Jesse, I was like, man, if I ever have a podcast, I'll have this guy on. Um, so, yeah, I hope you dig. Um, make sure you check out um, Optimize in Phoenix, Arizona. And this is Jesse Moran. Peace. Yo, Jesse, my man. It's good to see you again, man. It's great to see you as well. How you been, dude? I mean, obviously, first off, uh, welcome to the Sat Song Podcast. I'm stoked to have you. You're one of the first people that popped in my head when I decided to start this thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just did a little intro on you, but uh, first off, yeah, how does the hell has this uh, situation uh, been for you, being locked inside and yeah um yeah thank it's been it's uh great to be here with you and uh and it's been an interesting last what month or two i don't even know yeah. how long and i saw you uh not too long ago either maybe six weeks ago? yeah yep like that so for us uh for me you know I feel blessed to be here in sunny Arizona at one of the best times of the year in April. So we got really nice weather and um, I enjoy uh, getting outside in my, my backyard and, and gardening. And there's some off the beaten path trails where we can get out and kind of not see anybody and, and social distance. So I've been keeping myself busy and I have two children, seven and five. So my uh th things have definitely shifted with uh you know trying to learn how to how to homeschool a bit right so overall yeah i'm just trying to um just trying to do what i can uh within my control and you know i love reading up and following different you know thoughts and theories
using facts on everything's coming back. Everything's back to you. That was weird. It just glitched out. Um, yeah, dude. Well, so tell everyone about your business. Um, hang on. I'm going to stop the video on my end just because I think I'll make the audio better. Okay. Okay. All right. Can you still hear me? I can. Yeah. Okay, cool. So tell everyone about your business. So I met you because we have a mutual friend named Anton Mackey, who I'm sure I'll have on at some point too. Um, but tell people about the business that you run. Tell people about Optimize and what that is. And I'm really curious how you got into that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Optimize is uh, is a business that I have with uh, with another partner. And this, uh, this business is called Optimize Mind, Body, Breath. And it's a center, wellness center, that uses um, – natural healing modalities and therapies to um, to optimize to uh, upgrade to align the mind body and spirit and so specifically what we do at optimize is we have uh, cold water therapy uh, we have hot water therapy we have red light therapy also known as uh, photobiomodulation we have infrared saunas, we have uh, body scanners, we have uh, breath, meditation, and sound healing classes. And so um, we educate people on how to use these therapies, and we are membership-based, but people can drop in. And we, uh, we teach a lot of a variety of different, different healing tools. So, um, it's been a, a, a long time in the making, this business, and I've been really passionate about health and wellness for as long as I can remember. And so um, in my journey with health and wellness, um, through all the different things I was into, a lot of mind-body connection and, and yoga, and that's how actually we both know, know Anton. Yeah. Uh, as well and, and through martial arts yeah i'm excited to get into that <laughs> yeah yeah things evolve for me and and um you know i've been doing wim hof method workshops i became an instructor under him uh several years ago and so i started doing workshops with the wim hof method a few years back and um and then tell, tell people a little bit about what that is because so for, for me my experience with the cold water stuff um when i when i started training uh in mixed martial arts uh, particularly grappling i started like all of our fighters were doing the cryo thing um and you just more and more hearing about uh fighters and athletes doing the cryo thing and for me i was getting really into taking cold showers just because I liked it, like, it just kind of sends me into my day buzzing. Like there's some weird clarity that happens after you take a super cold shower, especially where I live, the water is, I mean, it is, it hurts. Um, and then I was getting into the creek for a while and like, I don't want to take credit for Anton's like cold plunging addiction now, but like he came out here and got in this, you know, the creek that runs through where I live is glacier melt. So it's 35 degree water, you know? Um, and I was getting in every once in a while and he got in and then he just got super into it. Um, 
But I'm curious about like the benefits of it. Obviously, cold is good for reducing inflammation. But what is that? Talk a little bit about what Wim Hof, the Wim Hof method is. And then also just kind of what are like the healing properties of doing it? Because I was doing it just because it felt good. But I know that there's obviously more to it than it just making me feel good. Yeah, yeah. And and it's like we we all know. I mean, we have this in us. We're, you know, um, you knew it was good for you and it felt good. Um, but so, yeah, there's so many benefits. And, and what's interesting is that cryotherapy, you know, that term that it's used now, we, many of us uh, think of it as the, you know, the gas chambers. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gas. But cryotherapy, actually cold water therapy is a type of cryotherapy. Uh, um, it, like in its literal literal definition, um, so that that I found interesting. I didn't know that until uh, not too long ago. But um, yeah, to get to your your points, it's uh, you know there's the whole the whole um, physical benefits of the cold water, um, which you know we can talk about for so long. And I'll I'll just ch- touch on some of the highlights like this uh, cold water therapy besides reducing inflammation so you're when you get in there your body releases um and so this chemical uh just suppresses inflammation to zero in your body and it also um does a whole variety of other things so one um one thing that the cold water does when you consistently do it white blood cell production increases uh dramatically so so that's immunity yeah that's immunity those those white blood cells the killer t-cells are what fight virus pathogens anything so if you're in cold water uh believe it's for like 90 seconds i mean you have like a 400 percent increase in the production of of these white blood cells uh so a lot of physical benefits but really uh some of the most powerful benefits come from the uh, the mind body connection, and so a lot of the training that we do promotes um, you know you you taking control and overriding um, your reptilian brain, your fight or flight sympathetic response, and you calm yourself down and override that fight or flight response. So you really learn how to. Uh, stay calm in very stressful situations and uh Dude, there's so many parallels between this and martial arts like yeah. things you're saying out loud because so what's interesting to me man is i've always been drawn i've always joked with my wife that like i kind of require mindfulness at gunpoint so like rock climbing ice climbing uh skiing um and then for the past few years fighting and like you know, it's a lot more easy to be mindful when something is like dire, you know, like if you're rock climbing, you obviously don't want to fall. Um, and in the cold water thing is it's like, if you don't calm down, like it, it sends you into this really weird place and you have to like, I, I'm curious to hear about the Wim Hof method. Cause for me, honestly, man, I had never gotten in water as cold as I did that day at Optimize. Yeah, that was a great, uh, a great day, Drew. It was great to see you, see, see you in there. And um, yeah, we got in. 
I had no idea that it would be that cold. Like I thought I had gotten in cold water. And so you were doing a training that day, I believe. So out front there was the trough. Yeah. It was like 80% ice, 20% water. And when I got in, I think the thing that shocked me was how much the ice surrounded my whole body and how heavy it was. And it would just, dude, it just blew me away how cold it was. And I know like the, the mindfulness that it took to like stay calm to even stay in there a minute. But then to see you in there talking to us and it just didn't seem like you were <laughs> having the same experience that I had just had in there. So tell me just a little bit about like what the Wim Hof is and how, I mean, I think human nature is to stray away from hard shit. And I've kind of always been the personality type that goes head first into hard shit that I really like it. Um, so yeah, tell me about Wim, just Wim Hof and like, I, I just don't know much about it. And I'm curious how you can train an average person to be able to submerge in ice water and stay calm. Yeah, I'm still warming up right now. I don't know if you can see my hand. I just got out of the ice. Um, not, uh, not probably 10 minutes ago, actually. Mm -hmm. I only in probably 90 seconds because I was running a little, a little bit late. But, um, but yeah, the, the effects of, um, of the cold and I'm super thankful and grateful to, uh, to Wim and his method because <clears throat> he really exposed me to a different kind of training um, with cold water. And like you had mentioned, um, and a lot of us that maybe were athletes or, um, or competitive in, in different uh, sports, we've all we've all encountered ice, you know, we've used it to reduce the inflammation, Sure. which of course now there's, there's different research coming out on that. You know, when is ice or cold correct versus heat? And so, um, but yeah, so I was going through a really rough time. I, my martial arts career had ended um, and I had fought uh, and, and we can get into that later, but, but 2009, I uh, tore my ACL and um, and uh, got put out of uh, my my fighting career. I, I had to rehab and and so I found myself in a place where I uh, was kind of like re-identifying who I, who I was in many many ways. And um, I had had, had uh, my kids just recently, and I was in a really rough part of a, a relationship. Um, and so somebody had told me about uh, Wim, and I watched, you know, this documentary on him. And Wim Hof, um, you know, is is a amazing gentleman who happens to hold about twenty five world records with uh, having to do with cold exposure and heat extremity. Um, you know, so he's uh, stayed in ice. Spectrum. What's that? So he does heat and cold. Right. Yeah. One of his mostly cold. Um, That's how I know him is. Yeah. Cause he, yeah. Say the record you were just about to say. Cause it's, yeah. Like so, so it's like two hours and two hours in pure ice, um, you know, up to his neck. And, and the most amazing part about this is that he was able to raise his body temperature while he was in the ice. So, um, so, you know, they thought he was kind of a freak of nature, which in many ways he is, but he, his mission was to bring the highlight 
and the, the media and the world attention on him through all these records and then showed everybody that we all have these hidden capabilities within ourselves. So his heat record, he has one where he, he ran a marathon in the desert with no water and like barefoot, I think is what it is. Um, you know, he's hiked Mount Kilimanjaro and I, I believe Everest as well in record time without a shirt on and in like shorts and a ba or a bathing suit. And uh, so those were all cool and everything and amazing. And that's what initially drew me to him. But what was most incredible was um, the study in uh, the rat at Radbound University um, back in, uh, in, I think it was 2009 or 11, where he went into this hospital and he, they injected him with an endotoxin. And uh, the endotoxins are used as controls in, um, in pharmaceutical experiments and they make everybody sick. So you get injected with an endotoxin, you get really sick, um, severe flu-like symptoms, and then they test you know, the different drugs on, on individuals. And so I think you know, something like 40, 50,000 people have, have taken this exact endotoxin to be tested. So here comes Wim Hof and he does his um, breathing techniques um, and his mindset training. And he goes into the hospital and they inject him with the pathogen, uh, the endotoxin, and he has no response. He's not sick. They look at his blood under a microscope and his blood um, is not affected like these 40,000 other people. And so that really put him on the map, like, wow, this, this human just showed that we can have voluntary control over our innate immune system, which previously was uh, thought to be considered not possible. So this really changed um, change things, but, but it actually gets better because they still said, Hey, you're, you know, you're Wim Hof, you're this crazy guy that has these special skills. And he, uh, he said, well, why don't I bring a dozen people back here? So he trained a dozen people in three days, brought them back to the hospital. They were all injected with the same endotoxin. They showed the same results. Um, as him, and so this changed textbooks across Europe uh, that we can control um, our physiology, and so yeah. that's really a big change. Yeah, I Maybe. think what's super special there is that, like, I don't, you know, there's these remarkable people that just kind of don't make sense. Like, D there's like David Goggins, right? But yeah. David, David Goggins can't teach anyone to be David Goggins. You know, like, I've I I read his book. And I got a lot out of it in terms of like, you know, mental toughness and stuff like that. But I think if you train all the time, you kind of have that anyway. You can't really teach someone how to like, you know, do SEAL training with uh, fractures in their shins. But I think what's so interesting about Wim Hof is the fact that, yeah, everything that I've heard about the dude is just like, this can't be fucking true. There's no way that he actually did this stuff. And then you look it up and they're like, no, man, there's, you know, there's video footage of it. Like he did it. But I think what's crazy is seeing other people get into it 
And then again, meeting people like I've met you, I've seen it in person. I've seen Anton, uh, who, when he was out here with me, you know, we both stayed in the Creek for 20, 30 seconds. And I've seen video of him sit 90 seconds in ice water. So it's like to see it actually being taught to people is something that's really remarkable. Uh, and I, and I'm just a big, I'm a big proponent of like, you know, I'm a seeker. Um, and in my seeking, I feel like I've done a lot of damage to my body. Um, you know, whether it's through training or skateboarding, climbing, skiing, all that, you know, my body's in a pretty, I feel like I'm kind of a project at all times. I'm never just like in homeostasis. I'm always kind of working on one injury or the other and like playing that juggling game. Um, so I guess when you were getting out of fighting, was there, uh, was that, was that kind of the initial connection of just like trying to heal your body from, from years of fighting? Cause everyone I know that was a pro fighter, like, you know, my professor is, I believe the same age as you, uh, right around there. And, you know, and he just finally had knee surgery that he's probably needed for three years. And, um, you know, was it kind of a quest to you to heal your body or was it more of like a spiritual path? Yeah, you know, um, I think a little bit of both. Uh, so I was lucky enough, um, you know, during my later in my my fighting career, <clears throat> um, and I, you know, I grew up competing from a young age um, in wrestling, and then I and I boxed, and I had um, all my attention was into performance. Um, but of course, along with performance, you know, as you know, with, uh, with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and fighting, um, you know, you learn a lot about uh, the body, your own body and, and, sure. and mind-body connection. And, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, David Goggins is an is a, uh, interesting individual <clears throat> that, uh, you know, his uh, mind-body ability to connect and disconnect and all that is incredible. But for me, um, I had so many, you know, as a, even as a, a wrestler, a young wrestler, um, I got exposed to different um, things uh, about health and healing within the body mm -hmm. that really began to teach me lessons. So, for example, um, you know, if you're a wrestler or probably a, uh, a, a jiu-jitsu practitioner, I mean, you've been exposed or had ringworm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so from a young age, um, I mean, I was like eight or nine years old and, and uh, I got ringworm. And, and if, for those of you that don't know, ringworm isn't a worm, it's a fungus. Um, so, you know, an overgrowth of fungus um, pro proliferate and they ex it exposes itself on your skin as like a little ring. It sucks. It's real contagious. <laughs> yeah, it's contagious. And um, so I would get this all the time um, and put Lotrimin and you go to the doctor and they would give you a uh, maybe a uh, stronger antifungal anti uh, cream that you put on, you know, just like just like athletes foot. It's just a different kind of a uh, uh, little bit different. So when I would get this one year, I got it when I wasn't even in wrestling season. And 
you know, I think I was eating a bunch of sugar or candy or, you know, whatever I was eating, bagels. Um, and so it didn't take me too long to, to understand that it wasn't just the fact that I was catching, I wasn't necessarily just catching this from somebody else. Um, I was, it was something, the environment within my body. Sure. Allowing this to proliferate and come out. So, um, so anyway, so I had these lessons like along my journey as a, as a uh, athlete, martial artist, and I was really interested in these things and, and the diet and how it made me feel. And so um, I was studying a lot of these things along the way. And so as my fighting career ended, I did start to dedicate a lot of my time to, uh, to healing, to more healing things. Um, as you mentioned, I went to uh, um, this school called the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and really amazing uh, school that exposes its students who you go there to become a health coach and get a um, certification for that, but exposes everybody or, or the students and the curriculum is that of uh, many different dietary philosophies as well as uh, gets into all different things about um, our lifestyle and health, not just being about diet, but also being about, um, you know, what we take in through our ears, our, our eyes, and sure. everywhere around us, you know, our relationships and how all these things um, really come together uh, to affect our health. And so, yeah, so that was a really big focus of mine. Um, where I transitioned from fighting into really dedicating uh, more of my time to healing myself and understanding uh, where I was um, falling short. You know, we did, um, if you've ever heard or seen like the wheel of health where, you know, you have different categories of your, um, of your life and you kind of rate yourself where you're at. And, and for me, coming out of my fighting career, you know, my, my, um, my physical health and my, uh, you know, certain aspects of my physical health were really maybe on a high level, but then all these other areas of my life, um, were neglected. And so, although I was healthy, uh, in some regards, I actually wasn't, you know, I wasn't that healthy my entire um, individual and, and uh, wasn't that healthy in certain regards, you know, so I began to shift my focus and I'm still on this journey to really, uh, balance. Yeah, yeah, balance. Exactly. Balance. Yeah. That's something I struggle with a lot, man. Um, you know, one thing that I feel like separates me from, I feel like a lot of artists are really um, not type A personalities, you know, they're kind of floaty and creative and, I have that side of me, but it's pretty well wrangled and I'm, a pr I'm pretty type A. Um, so I struggle with balance a lot because I am obsessed with the business side of, of what I do. And I have my hands in every aspect of it. Um, and then also with training and same thing, I grew up wrestling. Um, and there's kind of this overall theme with especially a lot of combat sports that's changing now because wellness is just becoming like such an important part but like 
you know, there's kind of that like tough it out mentality. Like I remember my coach used to always say, are you hurt or are you injured? Like if you're hurt, you have no excuse to not be doing every single thing that everyone else is doing. If you're injured, you need to leave. Um, and I think when I first started training that I was just kind of adapting that mentality. And then also I trained during the day during open mat. So the only people that are there for the most part are competitive athletes. So I'm like talking about aches and pains <laughs> with people that are fighting for a living. And they're like, oh yeah, I mean, I'm in constant pain too. So it kind of gets normalized, you know? Um, and it wasn't until this year, well, last year, I guess. Um, so I take every winter off. Um, you know, we plan our touring. So at the end of fall, I'm not going back on the road until spring tour. And I take that time in the winter to ski, reroute with my family. Um, in the past few years, my huge focus has been training. Um, and I got really, really fucking hurt last year, um, kind of out of nowhere. Um, it wasn't a singular event. It wasn't like I got dropped or like zigged when I should have zagged. But long story short, I severely herniated two discs and was being told I needed neck surgery. Um, and A, the pain, I'm kind of used to pain. I'm kind of used to having a knee that hurts all the time. But this was different. It was like, I was getting one hour to two hours of sleep a night for the first three weeks. Uh, I was crying the first four or five days. I was just crying all the time because I couldn't process how insane this pain was. Um, and I kind of found this weird, with the help of, of Will Grunhauser, my uh, professor, you know, he has a kind of a weird thought modality on pain, which is like, you can use it as the mind body connection. So I kind of, I just started thinking about things like, like the cold water things or all of the things where I purposely put myself in uncomfortable positions to grow. Dude, and I started spending time in the morning with this pain like it was my teacher. Um, so I would spend time in the morning. I would wake up after three hours of sleep because anytime I would wake up from this pain, I wouldn't fall back asleep because it was so present. So I just started sitting up and just sitting with it and I kind of talking to it like, okay, what are you here to teach me? And the message that I got over and over was slow the fuck down and find balance. Um, and then if I want to do all of these things that I enjoy doing with my body, then I'm going to have to find this balance. And in one way that I've found that balance, I think is the, the wheel of health that you're talking about is like being mindful of my diet um, as well as being mindful of, of, of what I'm doing with my body and how I treat it when it is in pain. Um, and like you have your collarbone, that's like the, one of the craziest things I've ever, <laughs> that I've ever seen on a human body. Uh, this is all audio, but uh, Jesse has a collarbone that he can literally just move around with his hand. Like it's not actually connected to his shoulder. Um, so it just kind of freely moves. Um, and it's just such a fighter thing to just like be like, yeah, oh yeah, this thing just moves. Um, <laughs> So that, that wellness thing is interesting, man, because, and I think especially the diet stuff is, you know, everyone always has like the diet of like, you know, when, when veganism was like super huge, that was like, here's a bunch of scientific data that supports this. Uh, and then the keto thing, here's a bunch of scientific data that supports this. And I think what I'm finding more and more is like listening to my body, because for me, being a vegetarian just did not work. You know, I could not get above like 140 pounds. Um, I got sick a lot. Um, yeah, so I, 
I think that wellness wheel is, uh, is, is an interesting concept and it, health and wellness is like a 360 thing. And I think a lot of people in our culture are looking for like a fix all. They want like a drive through wellness. Um, yeah. And that that's just not really the way it seems. Yeah. You know, it's so true. It's like we're conditioned to, yeah, want a quick fix and want the answer. How should I eat? What should I eat? How should I? You know, and yeah, I think it's it's much more complicated than that. It's it's much more simple, but also more complicated, you know. And so, uh, yeah, with your uh, your journey with that pain, um, yeah, that's you know, like you said, I mean, pain is just such a powerful teacher, you know, whether it be physical or emotional pain, and. Uh, I definitely, uh, I definitely like that, that taking that, uh, position in looking at your pain as a teacher. And, and for me, I'm sure like you, cause we sound, we, we seem like, I feel like we have a lot of similarities Totally. for so many years, just push, push, push and go, go, go. And, and that, that fighter mentality, um, really serve me in certain situations. Um, but, you know, a lot of people, I, I definitely, I used to, my perspective used to be um, as like a, you know, young, young man or, or uh, even in my late teens was that, you know, people are lazy and, and I used to see, you know, people not working hard enough. And uh, yeah, that's a, still a pet peeve of mine. Yeah, that used to stand out to me. And of course, like I think, you know, there's people that could work harder and I want to teach my children about hard work and discipline. But the older I get and the the more I'm seeing that there's so many more people that um, uh, that almost work too hard, you know, and they don't stop. They don't stop thinking. They don't stop working in a way. That's me. I still, yes. I, I can't turn, I can't turn my head off. My wife all the time will like, we'll be laying in bed and she isn't even looking at me. <laughs> like stop, you know, my wheels are just never not turning. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a hard balance. It's an interesting balance because uh, yeah, if we don't, we don't shut the mind off and learn to learn to feel and settle in then then uh you know our balance is off so that's a that's definitely something big that i see when i go back into the gym and and uh, train or see fighters or you know just at optimize when we have uh patients and people coming in and now you know we are you know we are uh, temporarily closed and we're working on how to reopen in the right uh, way, you know, because we are a we are a health service, and we have patients that really uh, help, or, or I'm sorry, we really um, gain and 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 really serve. Rely on it, I bet. Yeah, rely on it exactly. Um, but with with everything going on, of course, we have to um, make sure that we open in a safe way. But but to your point. Um, yeah, so many of these athletes, like me and you, uh, we didn't 
pain was almost something to be pushed through, you know? And so um, there is that, that differentiation between um, injury and uh, what was it? The, the, are you hurt? Hurt or or injured? Yeah. Yeah. So hurt and injured are two, you know, completely different things. Um, And I think pushing through pain teaches you something, you know, like David Goggins has done, but really if you are in this game of life and want to last and and have a body that lasts you until your later years, you might not want to, you know, keep pushing on the injury, you know, you don't, you know, so. See, I worry about that a lot, man, because I'm only 32. Um, and I don't move great in the mornings, man. Um, I just don't. Um, and it's something I, that I definitely worry about. You know, my wife is pretty keen to point it out all the time too, of like, man, what does 52 look like for you? And then I come back to this thing all the time of like, well, yeah, man, but if you want to do cool shit with your body, you know, you got to pay in a little bit. Um, and, you know, I think to round out everything we just talked about, I think the, the magic for me, especially with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is like, that that's what I wish the rest of the world could get, you know, whether it's through jujitsu or through whatever is this idea that being uncomfortable isn't a bad thing. And if you're present for it um, and you, and you can settle into it, that the gains that you get from that are so exponential and that you're not going to get them through comfortability. Like the amount of uh, intelligence and life skills, um, you know, like we just had, you know, my professor said to me recently was like, it's more important to be a black belt out there than it is in here. Um, and I carry that with me real heavy. You know, we just had uh, on this last trip before this whole thing hit, uh, the transmission in the van went out, you know, and it revealed itself that it was going to be about a $6,000 expense. And I, I didn't raise my voice. I don't, I don't even really recall getting that upset. It was just like, well, machines break this will be solved, whatever, where I think two years ago, I would have, I would have lost my mind, you know, even if I had the money to fix it, I still would have just been like, it would have ruined my day. And I didn't really, I didn't really skip a step, you know, and I'm, um, I still struggle to relate that in all areas. But um, I think that's kind of the magic of of martial arts for me um, is, is that it just teaches that that calmness in the storm, you know, and I think if more people had that, it would just lead to a lot more independent thinking and a lot more uh, emotional intelligence. Um, and it, and I struggle too, man, because I, because I sometimes do, I look around and I'm just like, man, if you guys would get off your ass and just throw yourself in some ice water, bite your friends or <laughs> you know what I mean, throw yourself yeah. in the wolves a bit. Um, you know, there's just so much I feel like to be gained in there. Um, so how, how did you get into to MMA? I'm always curious on people's journeys because it sounds different. So you grew up wrestling, which, you know, is a pretty natural transition into the sport, I feel like. But um, yeah, talk a little bit about just how you got into being a professional fighter, because it's a pretty odd occupation for most of my listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it was an interesting journey. So I, I grew up, like, as I said, in the sport of wrestling, um, just constantly, you know, uh, being used to that competition and getting that adrenaline rush of, of competing, um, and and wrestling is a combat sport too. And so, 
I went, um, I ended up going to, uh, to college and wrestled and began a wrestling, collegiate wrestling career. And uh, that ended uh, short. And I was, you know, I'd been wrestling, I started wrestling when I was five. So by the time I was 18, it, um, I was uh, in my collegiate wrestling career and I started to think about what was next after this and, uh, and kind of lost my love for it, I would say temporarily. And, and uh, at the same time, I, I started to uh, get into boxing. So I, I saw, I never had really honed my skills in, in, in boxing and worked on that. So I picked that up and then I, got exposed actually to a, um, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu club in I think like 1999, you know, um, I am 40 now. So that was, I was probably 18, 19, but, um, and these guys were, you know, I was a, high, a higher level division one collegiate wrestler and, um, you know, and you have confidence when you're, you know, doing that that much. And, and these guys, although I'd throw them down and take them down, they would nullify me and I couldn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't do anything. Um, from there, you know, they would just have me in guard and I'd be like, what the hell is this? And then, you know, some of the, the, the guy that was leading the, the group, you know, I'm sure I think he arm barred me and ta and I was like, wow, right away. I Isn't that the most just like helpless <laughs> feeling ever? So, I, I mean, I stopped wrestling when I was 14 or 15. Same thing. I just, I grew up in Iowa, you know, so I just kind of started thinking like, all right, oh, I'm yeah. a good wrestler, but I'm not, I'm not getting a scholarship. There's just no way. Like, you don't look around a plot of Iowa wrestlers and be like, ooh, that dude's ranked 111th in the state, you know, like, let's give him a scholarship. So I kind of had a similar revelation, but when I started training, I went to the grindhouse to start boxing and the same thing kind of happened where I was like, uh, Will, the owner, was always like, yeah, man, let's, we should roll sometime, we should roll sometime. And I just, I was kind of intimidated by it. But then one day I was just like, dude, I grew up wrestling. Like, there's got to be some transferable knowledge here. And Will just laid on his back. And, man, he was just tapping me every 15, 30 seconds. I just, I felt so helpless. And that, you know, yeah, that was the start of my jujitsu journey was like, oh, I don't actually know shit. So... <laughs> Yeah, and I was one of those too. I, I mean, I, I had watched Hoist Gracie, um, you know, dismantle and and prove that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was the pinnacle. If you had to choose one martial art, right? I mean, it, he, they came out on top, and so yep. of course wrestlers did did really well as well. But so I I came into it with some respect, but to feel it, you know, to feel the technique. And the, um, and the, you know, the, yeah, the, the pure technique and. Yeah, there's kind of a lack of when someone knows Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and someone doesn't know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there's a lack of effort on the, on the part of the person that knows it that is just really miraculous. Like you're watching someone completely toy with your entire body while you're using all of your strength and they're looking like they're sitting in a hot tub, you know, their facial expression is just like, yep. It's a language. I, how I always say it is it, that it, submission grappling is a language. And if someone doesn't know that language, I don't care what your other attributes are. If you can't speak that language, that's it. 
<laughs> you know. Yeah. For sure, and it's such a uh, yeah. It's it's known as a gentle art, right? But even though it's uh, it's pretty brutal, but somebody so small could could really use their their uh, this the technique uh, to overcome. And so I I was exposed to that a little bit, and then um, I was in Phoenix here, where I am now, um, in the year like 2001, and I saw some uh, local. A local rage in the cage event um and uh it was at it was at some bar and so me and a few of my friends were there and i had my wrestling and my boxing and and uh i was on the the uh i was on a uh, amateur boxing team at the time and i just saw these guys fighting and you know i said man i gotta get in there and i know i could you know I know I could beat these guys, whoever I was watching, you know, I was saying that I could beat them. And, um, but I also wasn't one of these, you know, I mean, I, I knew uh, watching, like putting yourself in there, you know, as, a, as any type of competitor, you know, when you're out there, whether it's co especially combat sports, but any type of thing, you're putting yourself out there, you know, so much respect to people that, that do that and put themselves on the line. So I had a lot of respect for these guys getting into this cage and fighting, you know, and really doing it. And I, I questioned myself, it scared me. I'm like, can I, can I do this? I mean, what, ha what if I got in there and I got caught and knocked out? Like, like, yeah, that's, that's a real thing. You know, I haven't taken a fight and I go back and forth and back and forth on it. You know, and my wife finally was like, man, if you're going to be laying on your deathbed saying I should have done it, then do it. And kind of right when she <laughs> gave me permission, I kind of settled in like, shit man it's a real deal like what if i get kicked in the face <laughs> you know it's like, you know it's uh yeah like you said man so much respect um yeah so how old were you when you had your first fight i was um it was 2003 so um 99 it was like 22 i want to say that's a good age to fight that's a good age to yes. fight. Yeah, I was 22, and and like you said, what it is, I mean, like fighting and, um, you know, training on this physical level, it's, and, and even relating it to the ice bass, it, it's really about connection, you know? Yep. So connection and I think tapping into part of us that is is primal and, and that has been there for a long time, for, you know, for generations. So to get out this, you know, this energy of, of deep connection and testing your mind, body, and spirit and kind of unifying and aligning everything. It's, it's uh, like, you know, it's not, I was never, you know, somebody that wanted to uh, like to like to fight in the sense of like, uh, yeah, hurting somebody or, you know, I, I just a game. I wish, you know, yeah. I think a lot of people look at it as this real savage thing. Um, and A, I'm a big believer that inside of our DNA, at the core of who we are, there's a fighter in there. Um, it's deep in our lineage. It just is. If you trace any lineage, you know, back to its roots, they were a warrior culture. Um, and I think it's been something that's tried to be, uh, that's kind of tried to get sussed out of us. Um, and, and I think that there's a lot of spiritual and cultural importance to not letting that warrior spirit die. Um, and that I know that it's not for everyone. You know, Mark Kerr, uh, who's an old fighter, 
he said, you know, there's two types of people in the world. There's people that get hit in the face and they want to cower away from that. Um, or there's people that want to hit the thing that just hit them. Um, and, and I, and I really believe that. And I don't, I don't think that the whole, the warrior way is the way for everyone, but I see that word get thrown around so much in culture, especially in kind of the new age spiritual culture is this idea of being a warrior. Um, and I, I don't want that word to get watered down because I think it's, you know, as you know, especially you're a professional fighter. So your lifestyle was the warrior way, like training uh, and optimizing your body for combat was at the forefront of your mind. Um, and so how long did you fight? How many fights did you have? So I had, um, I had nine uh professional fights but i had you know i had uh i had like you know eight or eight maybe eight or nine amateur boxing matches i had uh you know a handful of amateur uh, jujitsu you know jujitsu matches and then i had a kickboxing match as well that i I didn't throw one kick i just i just (laughs) i tko'd him but that was really early on but um but so yeah i went i went eight and one um damn i won my first seven uh professional fights and and you know this is 2002 to 2009 so the sport the sport wasn't what it is now no totally different so my first fight i took um was at a catch weight you know nobody was you know the smallest weight class was like that I that was that I had remembered was around 150 155 pounds and um, I had wrestled in college at 141 and so I you know I walk around at like 147 I still walk around at like the same the same weight I'm probably a little bit smaller than I that I was because I so was, you're, you were fighting at like today you would probably fight at 35. Yep, and that's yep. what I ended up fighting at. So I, I started at 150, 155, just because that was the only option in, in many fights. And then um, when I, <laughs> you were walking at 147 and fighting at 55, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would try to bulk up, you know, gain weight. So I would. So my first few fights out in in Arizona were pretty quick, somewhat quick and easy. I had, I had one or two difficult matches and um or fights and then uh and then i ended up i was out here in arizona when i started and moved back on the east coast where i grew up and got reconnected with a uh a high school teammate um and his uncle was uh danny shulman who um his family and him own uh tiger shulman's uh mixed martial arts it used to be tiger shulman's karate and um, they had asked me to come in, and their organization was really um, had that background of uh, Kikushin karate, no holds barred karate, a lot of mainly stand up focus. You know, mm-hmm. um, they combined real fight, like I would say, like combat karate versus, um, and and also had some of the forms in there, but they were evolving, and you know the fighting scene was growing and there was more competitions and he's very much somebody who um you know he's he's looking forward and adapting and so he was 
evolving his organization and his, um, his fighters and all his senseis. So he had 41 schools. I don't know how many there are now, but he had 41 schools, um, in, uh, you know, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Florida. And so I went back there and I started working for his company, helping manage, uh, the New York city location. I was a, I was a, um, one of the several like st studio, uh, managers, I guess you could say, and trainers. And so I started focusing on teaching the students wrestling and some grappling stuff. And I would go every week, every Tuesday, we, we would go to um, New Jersey, a New Jersey school where all the senseis from, from New York and New Jersey and even Pennsylvania would come meet and we'd fight. We'd have an amazing practice and we'd spar and fight. And so it was a really cool experience because here I was, you know, already had some MMA fights, had pretty solid, somewhat solid grappling background at, at that time. Uh, and my, my, my boxing was good, but these guys were very well uh, versed in, you know, lots of kicks and just different styles, you know, so I would spar uh, these guys and I definitely, you know, I did great coming in there and I, I put, put out some, uh, some, uh, some beating, but I took it too, you know? And so you learn a, a lot. It was a magical time, uh, in the sport. You know, I've been following the sport since I was a kid. You know, I remember watching UFC two when it happened, which is when Hoist Gracie came out and did his thing. And it's funny cause you look at the jujitsu that Hoist was using now or then now would be considered early blue belt jujitsu, you know, like you, if you watch those fights, man, there was triangles in his lap that he didn't see. It was just being a black belt in jujitsu. Then the sport has just evolved so much, but what's, it's interesting the time that you were in there because, and hearing about a combat karate instructor that was open. Cause I feel like those were the only people that survived because pre UFC, I'm sure everyone listening remembers watching like Van Damme movies and Chuck Norris and stuff like that. And growing up as a little kid, I watched those too, you know, and I thought that's what a fighter looked like. And then when UFC happened, it just exposed every flaw in every art, you know? So yeah. like you were saying, like, okay, wrestling's great because you're going to be able to get somebody to the ground. And there's guys who were just hulks, you know, Coleman and Kerr, um, that whole hammer house crew, those, all those Ohio state wrestlers, um, you know, that were just roided out. They could tackle someone, use their wrestling to get someone to the ground and then just hammer fist them into oblivion. But for anyone that wasn't a Hulk, you had to learn jujitsu. And then boxing guys realizing, you know, like Rico Rodriguez kicks you in the leg, that's a problem. So then boxing guys being like, okay, I have to, all right, I have to learn this. And then karate guys being like, okay, this works, but we have to adapt it. Um, it's a really beautiful thing. I think the, the thing with fighting that's so great is that it's an ultimate truth. It just is, you know, and like, unlike other sports, I feel like even at its highest level, you know, like people now know the UFC because it's a household name. But like you were saying, MMA events used to happen in bars. Like I remember the ones in Iowa were at a place called the Valair Ballroom, which was like a concert venue that fit maybe four or 500 people. You know, and my brothers and his, and his friends, like, I felt like one out of 30 wrestlers when I was in high school was like, yeah, man, I'm going to give this a shot. And I remember at the time, people were like, what the fuck are you talking about? 
Like you're going to get in a cage and fight another human. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's a job, you know? Um, and at the time I'm sure it paid garbage, but there's this, this magic to a fight that is, like I said, that it just is. Whereas like, there's no, you can't really blame the ref. You can't really blame a teammate. It's two people and there's only two outcomes. One person's winning or the other person's winning. Um, yeah. And it's a skill. What I've learned too is um, because now, you know, I of course have no interest in, in fighting. Like uh, big, big respect to you, by the way, for, for getting there. Cause I feel like uh, it's, it's a really sad, it really breaks my heart is like, I'm an absolute fanatic of the sport of, of all of it, Muay Thai, boxing, all of it. And there's nothing sadder than seeing somebody, especially like you that had a great fucking record be like, you know, man, I'm just going to stop now and, and pursue other endeavors, man. I watched this interview with John Wayne Parr last week that was from, he just took another fight with one championship where he was in tears talking about like, well, yeah, now I'm retired because they're saying I have to have this hip surgery and he starts crying and he's like, he doesn't know who he is. If he can't fight, he has no interest in teaching clearly. And there's just, there's nothing sadder than seeing somebody that shouldn't be fighting, fighting. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I, I, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of individuals, yeah, push it. They, they um, identify with it so much and it's such an amazing, I love it. It's such an amazing sport, but, but uh, there's more and what lessons, you know, can you take from that and, and move elsewhere? And so one of the biggest things, you know, that I look back on and think about is that it's really the individuals that rise to the top, you know, in anything they do. I mean, look, look at your, what you're doing your career and and uh, obviously there's so it's complicated there's a lot to it but but these individuals are the masters of the moment they're 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 able to to drop in to that moment that present moment and and have their focus and attention um and get in that flow state you know and just accept uh almost surrender to the moment you know, even if they're fighting, they're not, they're not giving up, but they're, they're accepting the moment and then they're moving within that, that moment. And I know for me in certain areas of my life, you know, in fighting, I learned to, at times to really, um, to really be in the moment. And that's where I, you know, what's I, that win like, cause I've, yeah. I've seen it in submission grappling and oh, man, dude, that even on that level of just submission grappling, that win is like, I don't know how to even describe it to another person. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And, and you, uh, you're bringing me back. So I had a, one of my, my, maybe my third fight was in, uh, was at, down in Atlantic City in New Jersey um, at, at the, I think it was at the Tropicana. And it was, um, you know, my first fight, I think it was my first fight under, um, you know, my new team there since I had moved back to New Jersey. And I had all these um, senseis, you know, they had, because when I, when I went and sparred them, you know, you have third, fourth, fifty fifth degree black belt. So sure. I went with them and, and, you know, did very well. Although I learned and I learned that, you know, I learned how to block a front kick. And, I was going to say that front leg sidekick and karate is yeah. nothing to fuck with. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of pressure, but I went out there and this fight, 
I'll never forget it um, because I had like an out of body experience that I've never, I don't think I've ever felt anything like it. And so in the, in the first or second, at the end of one of the rounds, first or second round, um, I connected with, with a, a jab cross, a one, two, and he, he fell down, he hit the canvas and I was just exhausted. I thought I had won the fight and cause it was, and, and the bell had rung just, you know, as I, had, as I hit him and he fell over, he, it wasn't a complete knockout, but he was hit pretty bad. And so the corner had like caught him um, and the ref had determined that um, he, that the bell saved him, you know? So I look over and I'm just in this, you know, just, just this, um, just this crazy sensation of just like putting, you know, everything I've had and I thought I won and now I didn't win. And so they, uh, they lift him up and they're like kind of holding him and the, they let him go because they think he could stand. He starts walking back and I, I'm looking at him and then he drops, he falls back down. And when he fell back down, like, I mean, I just can't explain it, man. It was just like a, a, a something took over my body and I was like, yeah, like just screamed. And it was just, it wasn't that I was satisfied that he was, you know, hurt or anything like that, but you had a, you skills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just some like deep primal outrage. It's just like, I can't, it's just like on another level. So that was a, a win that I'll never forget and a feeling that I'll never forget. And, and it's, and I definitely want to add this in because when you, when you fight somebody, um, and even when you train with people, you know, as you know, you create a bond with them. And so the individuals, that individual that I'm talking about, I am Facebook friends with him and we'll chat and connect him and this other guy, um, this, uh, another guy, several of the, the individuals I fought, I feel so close to them now. And, and after the fight, you know, often, you know, you hug and, and you're just like, I mean, it's a deeper um, physical connection in many ways than, than an intimate, you know, yeah. is with a partner with this. It's a, it's, it's obviously as there's nothing sexual about it. Um, but it's a very intimate uh, relationship where you, you basically are there and you're in a state of like, you, you're giving hundred percent, like every ounce of your being, you know, and of course you're, you're exchanging energies and, and it's just a really powerful bond you build with these individuals that you uh, are in this combat situations with. Yeah. I think that's magic, man. I think there's, I think again, it traces back, like you said, primal, you know, I think there's that thing of if this was the jungle, I would have just eaten and you would not. Like, that's that's what just happened. Um, and I think it does. It triggers some super, super primal thing. And like you said, yeah, it doesn't – it's not a celebration that you just hurt the other person. But, like, there's nothing that I love more um, in this sport than watching an absolute war between two people and then watching them hug afterwards. And, like – I appreciate you giving me a hundred percent. Thank you. You know, thank you for this war, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, 
again, I just think it's such a special thing. And I think particularly a lot of my fans, um, you know, I think are just not really exposed to it. Or, or maybe they are, you know, again, it's so popular now, but it's just such a huge part of, you know, literally my family, Satsung, uh, and combat sports are just, those are my three things that I love. I love them so, so much. Um, um, and again, like I said, man, so much respect to you for, for being able to separate yourself from that feeling. Cause I think the feeling that you were just talking about is what people get hooked on and they start going, well, maybe just one more, maybe just one more, you know, and you saw, I don't know if you saw that Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz rematch, man, but that was just one of the, I, you know, that was in your heyday. So you remember when Chuck Liddell was Chuck Liddell. And, and to see him leading up to that fight hitting pads, he can't move his head left or right because his neck's fused. You know, just being like, man, just be the guy that beat Randy Couture. <laughs> you know, man, just be that guy. It's done. Um, I see a lot of natural, you know, like my boxing coach, quick crazy story. Um, he was... He had just turned pro, and I believe he was 2-0, and and then he lost a fight. And then he went to Thailand and did a whole Muay Thai camp. Um, and he came back and then went down to Florida with Robbie Lawler and a bunch of guys at a camp down in Florida. And he got clipped when he was down there and went out. Um, doesn't remember the whole day. Um, another one of our fighters who was staying down there with him said that whole night he was just speaking nonsense. Um, so long story short, he got a brain scan and the doctor essentially was like, yo, bro, you can't get hit in the head again. Like your fight career is done. Your sparring career is done. Um, and it's, it's such a blessing that that happened. And he took it better than anyone I've ever seen. He just literally went, oh, okay, I'm a boxing coach now. You know, he didn't miss a beat. Do you have any interest in teaching? Because it seems that that's like the natural way of the of the fighter is after their career that they go into teaching. Yeah, yeah, you know, I do. Um, I do have interest in teaching, but you know, I think a lot of what I'm I'm hoping to give back is, um, you know, is is helping fighters and and other and and other athletes to understand um, different ways to train to of course perform their best, but also to, um, to train smart, you know, because yeah. I have that, that knucklehead attitude of, um, you know, I'm so tough and, and I like to get hit in the head and, and it's cool. And, you know, I'm t I can take, you know, pain better than anybody and all this stuff. And, and um, I think it's not the, it's not the best way to train. And so training smart, and making sure that you don't overtrain in life and in, in fighting or whatever you're doing, that is one of the most important things is not to overtrain because the, the injuries, um, the pain teacher will come, will come to teach you um, when you don't listen. And you're, when you overtrain, your mind gets tired, you make poor decisions, and, um, and that goes for, you know, our, our everyday life, you know, as, as parents, as, as, as partners, as husbands, as wives, when we don't give ourselves the rest, you know, that we need and take care of ourselves, we're, we don't, we're not able to put our best foot forward. 
um, for those around us. And so, yeah, I think that's where my focus is. I'd like to do some, I like, I like, love, like mentality coaching. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge, man. Coaching. That's, that's something real lacking. You know, I think I'm going to bring, you know, as soon as this thing's done, um, I want to bring my professor down there. A, just cause we have a, uh, I have, uh, a couple places that I really love training at in Phoenix. And I have kind of a second, uh, a second fight family down there. Um, but yeah, Will was a similar fighter to you. You know, he was called the grinder and, and he really took pride in that of like, nah, man, I could literally take an overhand right to the forehead and whatever, you know, like if, if I have to eat one to give you two, no problem. Um, and it's so funny cause my natural inclination is like, I just I recently became obsessed with watching old Floyd Mayweather fights again. Oh, yeah. And I think that is the coolest shit ever to just be like, no, nah, dude, like my main training partner and striking coach, uh, Mikey Zindler, who this kid is 21 years old and he's already a brown belt and his striking is it's that like Anderson Silva. He has put his hands down at his side when we're sparring and I'm throwing the kitchen sink at him and he's just moving his head and I cannot hit this kid for the life of me, you know? Um, and I think that's such an attractive way of fighting. Uh, but yeah, back to what you were saying. I think that is something that is, I think that's the next phase of martial arts. And I think we're also starting to see, a really cool hybrid of fighters that are not that old school, you know, grunt through mentality, but this new breed of warriors that are focused on spiritual wellness, physical wellness, uh, diet, uh, you know, that are meditating, that are doing yoga. And I'm just so excited about that hybrid of human walking around. Um, and people like yourself who get to a phase where they start teaching other people how to implement these things and become that. Um, yeah, I think it's, I, yeah, I can't, I can't speak enough to how, how great I think it is that, that that's where your, where your focus is because people can learn jujitsu from a million different people. And um, yeah, that's, that's huge, man. And it's Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's needed. And like you, you know, better than anybody. I mean, I could only imagine, I think we were talking about this a little bit, but, but going up on stage, you know, for a massive audience, I, I had the privilege of walking out at one concert with uh, a, a friend's friend who was the, the lead singer. And I got to walk like kind of behind them, you know, to a crowd of, you know, a massive crowd and man, what a rush. I could not, I, it brought me back to, walking into the cage you know it brought me back that same adrenaline rush and it was it was next level i mean i just i can almost feel it thinking about it now and so you know somebody like you who experiences these i think these big rushes and in a different way now you can you know i think having tools to um produce our own chemicals you know because yeah. You know, my fighting career, it sure as hell didn't last forever. You know, I wasn't, I, I did decent, but, you know, I wasn't on the, on the top of the, the, uh, you know, the world there, but, but if I was, it would have even been more difficult, you know, to come down and it's almost like, uh, you know, we get addicted to the, the drugs that are produced from the actions that we do. Yes, what exactly. Things end, you know, we, we have to have a safe way to transition. Yeah, dude, I think I think that's dead on. And and uh 
Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing, too, because I, when I think of walking out to fight someone in front of a bunch of people, it makes me pee a little bit. But when I think of, like, walking out on stage any time, dude, I just and – I've, and I've heard this from many fighters, and I'm sure you say, share the same thing. When I'm walking on stage, I literally am like, oh, yeah, the rest of my life is just time – leading up to these moments because this is who I am and where I'm supposed to be. And honestly, man, that's the biggest thing that I think I've gotten from this whole lockdown thing. We had two tours canceled, you know, and festivals are already starting to move. Uh, and that's kind of been my lesson with this whole thing is that music isn't something that I do, that it is completely 100% who I am. Because when I think about those moments of walking out on stage, there isn't, not that there isn't a rush, but there isn't this ever this like oh shit here we go here it comes it is like you know i'm like i bounce around like i'm getting ready to fight i'm just like let me go 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 you know and just waiting to get that signal of like okay waiting for the cue music to start so i can run out there and like that's where i'm that's home that's where i'm supposed to be um so it's been good too and then to round it back out with balance this time at home being like again so i just came off four months off and now it's looking like probably september until I get to go back out. So it's like, okay, well, maybe this isn't exactly who I am. And maybe there's a whole bunch of other parts that need tending to. Um, it's a really interesting time to be a human, man. Cause I feel like, you know, um, like I said, my three things are music and jujitsu and my family. And two of those three things have been kind of taken. You know, I can't really do jujitsu right now because the gyms are closed and sure as hell aren't going on tour. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna put all my focus on my family. Um, and, uh, and trying to get my body healed. You know, that's my, that's my big thing. I got so many, <laughs> so many little quirks that need worked out during this time. All right, dude. So I have these standards that I'm going to do every, that I do every single podcast, um, uh, that are questions pertaining to music. Um, first off, something I ask every fighter, what was your walkout song? Oh, that's a great question. I had a few. Um, you know, I, the ones that come to mind, uh, now are, um, I like kind of upbeat type stuff. So, um, God, why is it, um, not coming to give me a second. It's right at the tip of my tongue. My, 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 one of my favorite songs, um, It's so funny, man. I think I've spent more more time thinking about what my walkout song would be than the fight uh, itself. <laughs> J five. So J J five was one of my walkout songs. Um, you, do you remember them, or do you know? Them? Hell yeah, Jurassic Five. Yeah, Jurassic five. Yeah, Jurassic Five. So one of uh, Jurassic's five songs. I don't. I was trying to think of the the actual name of the song, and I don't. I'm not good with song names. I don't. I don't really focus on those, but. Um, I was into Jurassic Five at the, at the time. I still like them, but yeah, love them. I actually one yeah. of my favorite festival stories that I've ever seen is uh, Charlie Tuna, who's the main MC for Jurassic Five. Okay. He was doing a set at this festival with uh, uh, with Galactic as the backing band, but his flight was delayed. Oh, yeah. So so we're backstage and hearing all of the banter on the radios of like his flight was delayed. He's gonna be twenty minutes late you know, what the hell do we do? And they're like, we'll just have Galactic go up and start playing. So Galactic goes up and they're jamming for 20 minutes. 
this black SUV pulls up. This dude gets out and like, I mean, walks straight on stage. And as he's walking up the stairs, he flips his hat around, they hand him a microphone, boom, in. Zero sort of, okay, what's the vibe here? Like nothing. Got out of the car, took 20 steps, flipped his hat around, grabbed a microphone and just went in on what they were playing. No hesitation. Wow. It, was the, it was the dopest thing I've ever seen. Uh, all right so some more music questions what was the first record or song that you heard that you had like a real emotional connection to oh oh, that's funny this is great i like these questions um so immediately i thought of myself when i was maybe six or seven um singing in my mirror uh simply irresistible by robert palmer excellent (laughs) <laughs> yeah, mine are, when I was when I was six years old, I heard "The Pretender" by Jackson Brown, and it's it's one of my favorite songs ever. But it made me start crying, and I don't know why. You know what I mean? At six years old, there's no way I was like interpreting what that song was about. But for some reason, it just like it just hit me really hard. Wow. Um. So you mentioned J Five. Do you have a favorite hip hop record or artist? Ah. Uh, um. There's a lot, you know. Um, it's always weird when you're on the spot. It's like when someone gives you gives me a guitar and it's like, play a song. I'm like, well, I know 10 yeah, yeah. songs, but I don't know no, what to play. These are, these are great questions. Um, yeah, favorite, you said a favorite album or no? Favorite or artist. favorite artist, favorite hip hop artist. Favorite hip hop artist. Um, you know, I was really into, I, I, I liked a lot of hip hop and I liked a lot of classic rock. Um, you know, my musical tastes are pretty all over the place. You know, I was, um, but yeah, nobody specific. Uh, what are you listening to right now? What, what, what is your main music that you're listening to right now? Right now, a lot of, um, a lot of tribal stuff, a lot of prongy, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of different um different beats yeah different uh, music from from all over the world different beats and um and then i listen of course my kids you know they're playing they come in on the spotify and they're playing uh the, the descended soundtrack descendants three or something like that that's that's been pumping all over the place in my house nice well that's dope man well, for everyone listening, if you're ever in Phoenix, Arizona, make sure you check out uh, Optimize. Um, not only is that place magic, but there's a bunch of cool stuff in that area. Like literally 30 yards away is like a super healthy little juice bar, uh, food spot. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm, I, like I said, man, I was pretty blown away by, by the whole experience at Optimize. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely going to get back into uh, the cold water connection thing. Um, again, it's just, it sounds weird to people, but I promise you, if you go do it, um, you know, and you can get into the technique of, uh, of doing it, it'll, it'll change your life. Um, even just taking a cold shower in the morning, it'll send you out buzzing. Um, yeah, man, I really appreciate you doing this with us, Jesse. Um, and I can't wait to connect with you again. As soon as this thing's done, man, I'm, beelining it to phoenix so yeah it was an honor uh 
to be on here with you and, and chat a bit and I'm looking forward to connecting a lot more and um yeah just super super grateful man for all you're doing and the fact that you're you're doing this now and and uh, connecting with others and spreading uh promoting promoting messages and uh yeah just uh, encourage everybody to to take control of their health you know we we all have the power to to uh step in to our own health um through so many different methods and, and connect you know connect with the ones you love and use this time wisely and i'll i can't wait to get out by you and, and get in the natural water because that's where it's at you know nature has has a lot of answers for us and so, dude anytime anytime i it, it really is crazy the place that i live in i mean it is it blows me away i mean it, it just is it is really uh it's unreal man it is they're the tallest i live right at the feet of the tallest mountains in montana and, and the water here is very very cold and it is uh, fresh off the mountain so yeah anytime you want to come up man you're welcome at the crib so um appreciate you man let's stay in touch and we'll talk soon awesome all right peace brother all right, everybody. That was Jesse Meringue. Make sure you check out Optimize uh, in Phoenix. Um, yeah, guys, this has been super, super cool. Fun fact, that was actually the first podcast that got recorded. Um, you know, some of these are just kind of backlog because uh, when someone that I'm very interested in agrees to do the podcast, I want to do it right away because I'm excited to talk to him. Uh, some of the upcoming guests are outrageous. Um we're going to start talking to some professional MMA fighters, um, some legendary MMA fighters, really. Um, so get ready for that. Uh, I know that might be a new trip uh, for everyone, but I'm telling you, the journey of these fighters is just so ingrained in, um, you know, the universal struggle and, and what it takes to come over hardship and and really find your authentic self. Um, so I hope you can dig that. We also have some more amazing musicians lined out. Um, but the next episode is going to be my wife, um, who is a clinical psychotherapist, uh, yoga teacher, yoga therapist, certified in yoga nidra, Ayurveda. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about mental health. Um, we also kind of go off on a little rant about psychedelics, which is kind of fun always. So anyway, uh, make sure you share the podcast with your friends, subscribe, share, all that jazz, uh, and keep an eye out for all of these rescheduled dates. Um, you know, if everything goes as planned this fall, there's a high likelihood that we will be coming in whatever region you live in. Um, big love, take care of each other, and we'll see you next week. Peace.